Hello. I don't have them on yet. Um, this is just you and me. Just wanted to make sure that my record stream was working. Yeah, everything's going real nice. It's real smooth. All right. Wow, you have such a great voice, Ryan. I have a really uh, great voice for radio, I've been told. Multiple oh times. Oh my God, he sounds so dreamy. You know what? I'm just glad that someone finally noticed. Yeah, that's smooth. You think I should talk like this from now on? I think that you should probably talk like that from now on. And next up on WKKY, The Beatles. All right, let me get... Uh, let me get let me get Raymundo in here. Hello. Hey there. Hey. Excuse me. Hold on. <laughs> Clear okay, it out. I, I promise not to do that again during the show. Clear it out. Clear so it out. Justin Ozinga, my co-host, is on the line with us currently. Hello, Justin. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you. It, it, yes, you're right. It is. <laughs> big, big fan. Huge, huge fan. Huge. He's a huge fan. <laughs> Huge Everything man, okay. is huge this year. That's right. That's right. Um, give me one second. I'm going to yell for my children with the belt in my hand to shut up for the next hour. Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. I'll be right back. I think he, I think I have a half chub right now. Just maybe. I'm, I'm pulling a scared turtle. <laughs> oh, shit. That's how straight I am. <laughs> so right on. Uh, do you want? Do you guys ready to get into it? Yeah. Yeah. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington, Washington. Well, hello and welcome to POTUS Life again. This is Ryan Markley. I have my co-host, Justin Ozinga. And with us today is the Queen of Bithynia from Virginia, Ray Harris. Uh, Ray, do you want to speak a little bit, uh, perhaps, about your history qualifications? Let the people yeah. know who you are. I mean, you're pretty yes. famous. We're, we're pretty stoked to have you on the show, to be completely honest yeah. with you. Well, I, well, I appreciate that. As the Queen of Bithynia, I've been around <laughs> for a very long time. No, um... As far as my qualifications, I do have a degree in history from James Madison University. Um, since 2010, I've been doing the World War II podcast. And then some Aussie blackmailed me uh, two or three years ago into doing um, a podcast about Caesar, which then grew into a podcast about Alexander, which then uh, we also added on the Cold War podcast. So uh, I promise to get all of those topics confused tonight. So when I answer, and, and I'm completely off by a couple thousand years, just go with it. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what we do. Facts Excellent. aside, assured, assured. Don't let facts in the, get in the way of a good story. Certainly not. Now, before we get into Washington, I'd like to do kind of a little bit of role playing for Ray. Here we go. Okay. Now, the first time I ask you this question, I would like you to answer as Hillary Clinton, and the second time, I would like you to answer as Donald Trump. All right. So here's the question. What really went down in Las Vegas? 
Well, you know, there's a lot of different versions of what <laughs> happened. Uh, those who were there know. And since there is no definitive proof, I will just say a good time was legally had by all. <laughs> Sometimes not legally. I mean, Wait, well, that's the Donald Trump answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let him get to it. All right. Now as Donald. It was huge. It was huge. We fucked each other. We everything. We just went crazy. We had a good. We were snorting stuff on the table and up to the point where I realized it was the ashtray. It wasn't even the good stuff. No, we got freaking crazy, and it, it was a phenomenal time. And oh, I should probably preface this by saying what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Shit. Either way, it was huge. <laughs> it, was, it was. It was awesome. We had. We had a great time. I can't wait to go back. I'll, Absolutely, I'll accept that. Although I will point out that Donald Trump does not apologize. No, that's true. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize for apologizing. <laughs> that shan't happen again. Perfect. We know All how right. Ray is with his uh, southern politeness. That's right. Born and bred a southern gentleman, uh, my grandmother would rise from the grave and beat the crap out of me if I was in the other way. So that is that is uh, bred into me. So uh, I guess we should kind of just dig in. <clears throat> on Washington a little bit. So overall, what are your thoughts on Washington? What do you know about him? What's what's kind of the overall picture? We, we definitely have some questions that we want to drill down, but I kind of just want to give our, our viewers a, a very quick brief overview of kind of what you think about George Washington. Yeah, we need a Virginian to tell us. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, exactly. For To be honest, um, Washington's been called the marble paragon. He's been called stolid. He's become untouchable. He is, he is quite larger than life. If you um, just kind of blaze through middle school and high school educations, they just kind of say he was pretty much ordained by God to do what he did. Um, and so we don't know much about him. But then again, we don't really care much about him because we don't feel like we can, we can approach him. But uh, having studied for all of seven minutes that I have in order to get to get ready for this uh, episode, I had there. There's a lot about Washington to admire. Yes, he was he was proud. He was aloof, but he was trying to be uh, a gentleman, and that's what um, the definition one of the definitions of a gentleman was back then. So he was worried about his reputation. He was worried about his honor. He was obsessed with his honor. But what, like y'all said on the very first ep- the first episode that I listened to, y'all want to get to know the man like he's standing right there in the room with you he is truly flesh and blood and so that's what we'll try to do tonight we'll pierce that marble paragon if you will and and try to get in there he certainly has his flaws but he certainly has his um the more amazing aspects of his character that made him far beyond your your average man we definitely think that as well and we're Pretty much, I find myself getting, the more and more I research about him, I get more and more excited about his character, about who he was, because I truly think that he was such an interesting man. I think that he was a very truly a bipartisan man, and I think that he just excites me as a politician, looking at presidents now, how, how could we, you know, can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay, I'm having, a little bit of a, I'm having a little bit of a break up there. There we go. Hotel Wi-Fi is awesome. Um. Anyway, I'll I'll edit around. Where that. are you now? Oh yeah, guys. By the way, hey, uh, currently hanging out in Washington D.C. Speaking of, I'm at the the seat of our political power in the United are States. Are you enjoying all the phallic symbols around you? <laughs> there are so many things just reaching up and tickling the sky. It, it makes me so happy. It kind of reminds me of Vegas a little bit, right? I mean, no. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas has it all. Vegas has it all. 
So I kind of wanted to start by just asking you, what do you think Washington's greatest strength was? Ooh, his greatest strength. Um, he, um, from a very early age, because he didn't have his, you know, his father died uh, when he was young. He looked up to his brother for a couple of years, and then he died, and then he looked up to Lord Halifax for a couple of years. So Washington had an almost external rarefied version of what idea of what it meant to be a man. And he would spend his life trying to be that man, that character, but it was a little too perfect. And so he would fall short, but he was very much like Augustus who literally made himself over time to be the type of person, the gentleman, uh, the landed uh, gentleman that he thought he should be, that he certainly wanted to be. So one of his strengths was uh, he was certainly aiming to be the best he could possibly be. He could learn from his mistakes, even though he didn't always admit them. But uh, he was certainly trying to be the best that he could be. He was also a great judge of character for all of his flaws. He certainly picked some very solid men to be around him, certainly when he was president. And once he gets more comfortable comfortable in the um, Revolutionary War, he is able to pretty much decide things on his own and be a lot more decisive when it comes to military decisions. And he grew into grew into himself. I know men in their 50s and 60s who still act like 12-year-olds, um, but uh, Washington literally grew into himself and, and pretty much kept trying to be the best person he could possibly be. And a lot of us give up, give up in their 30s, but that, I think that's something that he obtained and he was certainly respected for it. He was understood. He was misunderstood in a lot of ways for it. By, uh, he was seen as aloof, but he was certainly someone who tried to be the best he could be. And that's a pretty worthy goal. I, I would like to think that more people uh, should strive for. Likewise, I, I would agree with that. But I would also add the size of his hands. Yeah, huge. His, huge hands. His slaves <laughs> yeah, were slaves. his greatest strength. <laughs> don't, no, don't, you're yes. forgetting something, though, Justin. You're forgetting something. His, his horseback riding? His thighs. You, you forget oh, You forget the yes. thighs. People constantly commented on how yes. large his thighs were and how they could just grip that horse. Yeah, no, exactly. the modern equivalent of his thighs? Oh, my. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian? <laughs> Her breast. No, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, he was one of the greatest horsemen of his time. Um, and, and his soldiers got to see that a lot. And certainly, you know, he would try to show off or whatever, but he was certainly a great horseman. And that was, you know, we kind of poo-poo it now, but that was certainly a skill to have, a skill to be admired. And it was certainly a, a part and parcel of being a part of the landed gentry. But he was an excellent horseman, and that stood him well during the war um, when he, you know, ended up losing more times than winning, he had to make a break for it pretty quick. But yes, he had he had incredible thighs. He also had a almost a an hour shaped glass body, but not in a good way. He had kind of nice hips. Um, he, he was <laughs> he had he did he he did he had very pronounced hips. He was a big man and he had big shoulders and he was very strong, but his hips were you know a little wider than they needed to be. So he was kind of hard to. Uh, to paint to make it look austere, but he did look good in a military uniform. But again, great hips. I'm sure a wonderful ass, but just mm. impressive mm. thighs. So what you're saying is that founding real founding fathers have curves. <laughs> they do exactly. Thank you that you you summed up you summed up everything I just said in two seconds. Well, now done. before the the next question would be what are his weaknesses, but I think that his weaknesses tie a lot into the issue of slavery 
No, No, you're completely wrong. His weakness, his greatest weakness was his teeth. <laughs> his dirty mouth that he wouldn't open. <laughs> oh my god. I was I was doing some research on that and between you know just simple genetics, uh the lack of uh, hygiene of the day uh, and I th- I heard that he liked to chew on nuts, break nuts with his teeth. So, you know, by the time the guy's in the White House, he's got one solid tooth, maybe not solid, tooth in his head, and he's got dentures made out of ivory and everything else. I don't think they were made of wood, but, you know, his greatest weakness was definitely his teeth. And if you ask me why he didn't smile, would you? I mean, come on, (laughs) he had to hide that stuff. He had rotten, dirty gums, and it smelled (laughs) really bad. He was, he was a man smirk. of few words, they say. Exactly. He would smirk, but he wouldn't smile. No, his, uh, his greatest weakness was he was really a man of his time. And so when he would work with someone who had slowly, very, very slowly earned his respect, he just could not picture them um, betraying him, you know, pretty much like Benedict Arnold. Uh, he did go into the war needing to know a lot more. And so a lot of his men died because of that. He was very vain. Uh, I heard y'all talk about on the first episode about his clothes, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But he was very vain and he was very uh, obsessed with um, being respected. And so he took that obsession with um you know, kind of his status in life. And he took that with him to the White House and demanded to be treated a certain way. So he was certainly vainglorious and uh, and a lot of other things. But again, he is able to look at himself over time and become a better person, or at least a, a better person than he was before. Certainly not perfect. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, since we kind of broached the subject, I definitely wanted to ask you about uh, what was what was up with him playing dress up so much? I mean, we see we see when he first went out on his uh, commission from Dinwiddie, he went into the woods and he dressed up like an Indian. And he wrote in his journals about how much he loved dressing up like an Indian and playing Indian, <laughs> right? The and then yeah. and then he just happened to show up at uh, the Continental Congress wearing a military uniform. This was a non-military yeah. affair, but yet he really dressed himself up to the nines, buttons and everything. <laughs> and then once he got into the office, he wanted to detail everything, just wanted everything to be perfect, had the ideas of the way that the uniforms would look. So what, what was up with that? Well, first of all, he was Calvin Klein uh, before Calvin Klein was Calvin <laughs> Klein. No, he, he just he he when he was young, he spent a lot of time at Lord Fairfax's house. You know, he's he's a backwater boy, even though his family, you know, they had some money and he inherited the land and the slaves when his relatives kept popping off at an incredibly young age. But when you spend time at Lord Fairfax's house, you're going to want to have that life. So, yes, you're right. I mean, there's constant there's a there's a whole bunch of letters to his agents, if you will, in London. I want I want my coat to be exactly this with this color and this braid. And I w- th- these are my exact measurements and all this stuff. And he was just obsessed with looking the part. But I think having been exposed to that kind of finery at a young age, it just set his sights pretty high, maybe too high because he certainly couldn't afford it. He was always in debt. Uh, but I just think that um, he knew he looked good in a military uh, uniform <laughs> because of his body shape. Um, and he would always press, he would always use that to impress people, but no, he was like Churchill. He certainly did like to dress up and, and you could say that he was almost an actor on a stage, but not, not that superficial. I certainly don't mean it in a superficial way, but he was playing to a part because he was extremely ambitious. He wanted to be in charge of the army. And so he knew he had to jump through certain, certain hoops to get command. And one of those was to look the part. 
and damned if he didn't do it. And, and it worked for him. Certainly. Certainly. I think, I think his dress, I, I agree with you. I think his dress really gained him prominence specifically in the Continental Congress. I think it's what gave people this ability to trust in him as a military leader. Cause they're like, he's like, he looks really military right now. I mean, he looks so <laughs> official. So, I mean, we should totally elect him as, you know, the general of the whole army. Certainly. That's a great idea. And it worked. Yeah, he, like you said, he was the only one who showed up in a military uniform. So, <laughs> boom, just right there, he was, uh, you know, two steps ahead of everyone else. And again, he was very ambitious. He knew what he needed to do. In a different life, he would have had a show on HGTV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when it had nothing to do with those dirty military boys. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe, well, except for maybe makeovers. But other than that, I think you're absolutely right. So I guess since we're talking about kind of his military dress and we're talking about the way that he presented himself in the Continental Congress, I was, I'm always kind of wondered while reading a lot of history about George Washington, do you think that if he had gotten a royal military commission, he would have been less inclined to join the revolution? Because I really, he writes about it again and again and again, how mad he is about it. I think that really kind of planted the very first seed for him. So, right. so what do you think about that? Well, I guess the the, uh, the one thing to remember is that the American Revolution was odd in that it was led and, and started by the, the conservatives of the country. It wasn't the, the poor oppressed people and then they, the elite came along later. This was started by the elite. They were literally fighting against their peers uh, back in, in, in England. And so... Um, Yes, you're right. I mean, he writes letters about uh, he's been he's um, being overlooked for this commission, that commission. And no matter what he is able to get, it's never very impressive in the eyes of the British. You know, their their rank is um, obviously means so much more to them. And so on one hand, he's being passed over for everything. And on the other hand, and I'm sure you all have read about this, he was just always in debt when he was ordering stuff um, from, from London, whether it's his clothes or whether supplies, his dinner sets or whatever. And so Britain pretty much brilliantly, I might add, had a system set up where they were just ripping off whatever colonies they had. And they were doing it such a, to a great extent that Washington now an intelligent person who had learned a little bit of the ways of the world as he was growing up in his 20s, uh, learned that he knew, he he figured out he was being ripped off. And so between the being shammed by the mother country and being passed over by the military, which was the quickest way to rise up in society or to gain fame and fortune, I mean, they're just pissing him off left and right. But Washington is such a stolid person. It takes years to really, really, really piss him off and so by the time the British, so they're, by the time they're ready to fight with the British, he's one of the first guys in, and he never really wavers from that. Once Washington decides something, he's going to stick to it no matter what. But yes, they pissed him, pissed him off. If they had given him a commission, it would have helped because he could have advanced, and that's pretty much what he wanted to do, Hey, just like we all do. But it was more just the economics of what London, the unfairness of the, uh, British, Britain's economic policies that pushed them over the top. It would have helped, but at the end of the day, I don't think it would have stopped the revolution. And I think he would have had, he certainly would have been a part of it. So, so basically kind of what you're saying is that it was a pretend, a a rich, a a white dude 
pretending to be rich, that didn't want to deal with the establishment, decided he was going to take over. <laughs> oh, God. Is that is that what you're saying? Is that what's That's happening? That's exactly here? what I'm saying. And I'm here to <laughs> announce that I think that Trump is the reincarnation <laughs> of Washington. So you would all better look the fuck out. But seriously, I have I have I mean, honestly, I have wondered this as the more that I read about George Washington, I don't think that George Washington is Donald Trump, by the way. I'm just Right, but right. but I do I do think that some of the parallels between them are incredibly interesting, right? Or, I mean, I mean, or is that just me being? I crazy? mean, but he had much bigger hands than Donald Trump, and way more <laughs> slaves. So much bigger. <laughs> well, I think uh, Donald Trump is a big pussy. <laughs> well, see here, it, this is as political as I'm going to get, but. Um, George Washington, when he gets to the White House, he's looking out for the upper crust, people like himself, the landed gentry. Um, So he he doesn't, in some ways, he doesn't care about the poor, except for he learned to respect and truly admire the men who fought with him. And they, over time, learned to respect and truly love him. Whereas Trump got the vote of a lot of um, upset, I would say, not doing well economically white guys without college degrees. But when Trump is in there, I think he's going to just look out for people like himself. I'm still trying to picture a billionaire really giving a crap about the common man. I just cannot wrap my head around that. But uh, that's, that's Trump. But as far, as far as Washington goes, uh, yeah, there, there are some similarities, but if, if Trump had just one tenth, tenth of Washington's uh, demeanor, decorum, professionalism, respect, uh, hauteur, uh, I would certainly hate him a lot less. <laughs> right. And something interesting about Washington is that his problems with debt made him empathize with people that ordinary people that had debt. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, uh, he was just, he had a bigger debt than they did, but they were all in the same boat because Britain was, had formed a system that was purposefully, um, favoring them. And that's, that's why you have colonies but when you get a bunch of uh, rich white guys together who pretty much are British in every way, shape, or form, except their address doesn't say London, they're going to they're gonna get frustrated and they're going to fight back eventually. So again, it's just staggering that it was the conservatives that launched this revolution and not the, the, the lowest uh, uh, of the Americans. And we kind of opened up about how George Washington is an untouchable figure to the mm-hmm. American religion. Right. And so we have all these, you know, crazy stories about him. What would you say is your favorite Washington, like, myth or tale? Um, well, I've got one. And to be honest, this, this, this changes every five minutes. But it's one where it makes Washington look good. So it's not, it's not as quirky as you might imagine, imagine that it is. But, um. He was, he was, I think he was 27 years old. He had uh, recently gotten married. He had left the army and he had a a very solid reputation. A lot of people respected him. And um, on one of his last campaigns when he was fighting, he was elected to the House of Burgesses, which is exactly what he wanted to do. So he goes to Williamsburg and he's sitting in his seat. And the Speaker of the House, uh, Mr. Robinson, stands up and he says, I would like to publicly thank. Uh, George Washington for his service to our state, to the IE country. Um, and I just, you know, if there's anything you would like to say in response to that, Mr. Washington, it would be great. We just want to say thank you for everything that you've done. And this 27-year-old guy who was still 
learning, still figuring out who he was, stood up, um, very uncomfortable, could not say a word, <laughs> tried to mumble something, uh, 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 you know, when he's surrounded by all these guys who are great writers, they're, they're great orators, um, they could go on for hours talking about themselves. He can't even get out a sentence. And that's when Mr. Robinson says, sit down, Mr. Washington, your modesty equals your valor. And that surpasses the power of any language I possess. So again, <laughs> it's just one of those weird moments. But again, it's him. He would rather do than say, and he would rather do than brag about it. He was a person who, about getting stuff done and letting others talk about him, but he certainly didn't feel comfortable praising himself because that was ungentlemanly. Certainly. That kind of reminds me of LBJ when he awarded McNamara with the, the Medal of Freedom, and it was a very similar predicament except for McNamara was weeping like a child <laughs> my favorite LBJ story is when he pulls over on the side of the road and he's taking a piss and he pisses on the uh, uh, Secret Service's shoes and he says and the guy goes hey what are you doing he goes executive privilege <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like more like the presidents uh, we know and love today right <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah. There's no problem down there. <laughs> so all throughout the war, all throughout George Washington's writings and the journals that I read, the, the letters that he writes to Congress, he seems to complain quite a bit. Do you think George complained too much? He seemed to never have enough money. He was always complaining about that. Never had enough mm -hmm. troops. He was always complaining about that. The, the workers, I mean, even when he talks about his farm, no one ever worked hard enough. No one ever did enough. Everyone was lazy, you know? So right. he's lazy blacks. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think about all this complaining? Do you think it was just him kind of working thing, working his aggravation out down on writing? Or do you think he was really just angry all the time? I mean, what, what do you think that was about? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, he did, he did vent in, in the written form because a gentleman doesn't go off and, and start bitching at people and stuff like that. So let's, Let's break these down. So his slaves, because he had a very strong work ethic. He wanted to excel. He wanted to be on the upper crust of society. But you got to work for that stuff if you're not born into it. So he could not wrap his head around the idea that his slaves weren't out there busting their butts trying to make Mount Vernon or wherever because, you know, he owned thousands of acres. He could not understand why they were not giving it their all night and day because he certainly did. He had a crazy life. He was up from dawn to dusk and doing all these amazing things and, and supervising. He could not understand why anybody wouldn't work as hard as him during the American Revolution. That's one thing. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah, if you own me and if I run away, you're going to chase me down, beat me, bring me back. I'm not exactly motivated to work really hard so you can better yourself from that. So yeah, he did bitch a lot. He did bitch a lot in his writing. But when it came to the, the Revolutionary War, um, Yes, he did bitch a lot, but but he was right. He was accurate. He wasn't making this shit up. They never had enough blankets. They never had enough shoes. They never had enough gunpowder. They never had enough guns. They had enough, They never could uh, have any kind of uniforms, even though he designed a very nice looking uniform. <laughs> he, he told the men to, uh, for now, just wear buckskins, you know, that kind of stuff. But he did complain a lot, but uh, it was it was pretty much accurate because here you are going against the superpower Britain and they're all in the same uniforms and they've got, they've got everything you could possibly want in an army and the Navy or whatever. 
here's these guys in buckskins without, you know, I mean, y'all probably read about Valley Forge. How many men died that winter? They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough shoes. Some of them didn't have shirts. I mean, they're up the in shoes, the shoes, the, shoes. Uh, the, the bloody footprints is. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he bitched a lot, but unfortunately it was all ag- a- um, accurate and it was not exaggerated. Kind of gives me a thought that if, if I had a time machine and I wanted to go back in time on behalf of the British, that I could offer Washington a position designing the British uniforms and that would have put them. <laughs> I think he would have loved that, it. He would have taken that so damn fast. He would have got a paper cut. <laughs> As he snatches the uh, the uh, appointment out of your hand, yes, absolutely. I'll even throw some of uh, the Ohio Valley country into it. <laughs> I, I pictured uh, George Washington under his military coat. He had a tape measure wrapped around his neck. I mean, he was always just ready to design the latest of whatever. I mean, he designed, as far as I know, he designed his pajamas as well. But this man just liked the cut, the proper cut of a uniform, and he had a very good imagination and. He was always sending letters to people about this would look good. Let's do this. Let's do this. But if you don't have enough money for guns, gunpowder, shoes, forget having a, even a stylish uniform. You know what? You actually right. you actually touched on something there, though, Ray, that I never had considered before. You are correct. He was very imaginative. He he could think about things in ways that other people could not think about them. And honestly, this is the very first time that this has ever dawned upon me. That's, that's a fascinating way to think about it. Cause I think even his approach to war was very similar to that. He would read his books. Maybe, right. maybe he would read them. Maybe he would just own them so that he looked like he had read some books about military uh, affairs. That's what I do. Exactly. We've noticed, <laughs> <laughs> but, but truly he, he, he did think of things in a little bit different way and he had quite an active imagination. So I think that's, that's an interesting thought. I never, I never considered that before. Yeah. Well, when you have when you're totally desperate in a military situation, you are forced to think outside of the box. And yes, he did have a very good imagination. But the one one of the many things that is fascinating about Washington, again, he was a doer. He was a fighter. He wanted to take the fight to the British. But one, when the um, war starts out, his the American troops have more enthusiasm than they do anything else. So to just literally line up and take these guys on would have been a horrendous defeat. I mean, it just wouldn't have worked out. Um, it literally took him years to go, me personally, I just want to charge up there and kick some ass. But that's not going to work if we are actually going to win or survive or stay in this battle. So he had to go against his nature and um, and use the you know delaying taxes, uh, tactics, harass, as, and, and focus on keeping his men together more than keeping them together and fighting the British. So again, there's this man who has very strong, and, and this and this does not come out anywhere unless you read about this. This man had very, very strong passions. He was a very passionate person. He was a very emotional person. And for him to have the ability to tighten all that up, to always come across as a gentleman and not rebuke anybody and, and not just go off and just haul off and hit somebody. I mean, it was just a, a testament to his willpower. So he's he's fighting a war in a way that he doesn't want to, and it's not sexy, but it's their best chance of winning, and so he does it. Same thing with his emotions. He held back his army because they couldn't win outright, and he held back his emotions because he wanted to be seen as a, a gentleman planter. And that brings us to my favorite question for you, and uh, it's kind of like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure question. <laughs> 
you know, George Carlin Rufus shows up at your local gas station. Yes. He takes you aboard his time traveling elevator and says that you can replace George Washington with whatever military commander from any point in history to fight the revolution. Who would you pick? Good question. Good question. I, this one, oh my God, this one's killing me. Um, a part of me wants to say to a degree, Robert E. Lee in that he was really good when he would go to enemy territory and set up a defensive position, forcing the men, his enemies to come to him so he could just mow them down as they approached his, his, um, his, um, his fortification, like he did uh, in uh, Gettysburg. Um, but, but Robert E. Lee would have went over to the offensive too many times or too soon. And it probably wouldn't have worked. I had to, I had to reach far into the past. So the best answer I can give you on that one was Quintus Fabius Maximus Verrucosus, oh. who was taking on Hannibal in the second Punic war, you know, basically Fabian tactics. You harass, you don't have a frontal assault. A you, war you avoid. Exactly, exactly. It's basically a war of attrition. Yes, we might lose a lot of Americans, but there's a lot of us, and you can only afford to hire so many soldiers or so many mercenaries. So again, it's not sexy, and this is going to take me eight years, but this is mm-hmm. the best chance I have of winning. And so that somebody with that mentality would be needed. Because even when the French came in, Yay. Uh, they didn't bring enough. They didn't bring enough ships. They didn't bring enough men. They certainly didn't want to loan the Americans any money. And even when Spain comes in, all they pretty much do is sign a paper and focus on their territory and what we call roughly, you know, right behind the mountain, the Allegheny Mountains or whatever. So the, the Americans for the longest time were on their own and it, on their own. And it took Fabian tactics just to stay in the war. Forget about winning it for the moment. Right. So it's more about staying in it until the British were like, all right, we've had yeah. enough. We got other shit to do. This <laughs> well, see that, is a yeah. big planet. Exactly. But see, here's the thing. I mean, the Americans were wanting independence for economic reasons. The British wanted to keep them a colony for economic reasons. So if you can make this war last long enough, they'll have spent so much money on trying to keep you in that it's no longer worth it. And then they stop. And that's sounds roughly, like the war on terror <laughs> exactly. uh, or the war on drugs, but uh, probably not. But uh, but that, again, it's not it's not something. How can you get excited about if someone comes to you? I've got a plan. It's going to take almost a decade, but I think we can win. I mean, nobody wants to nobody wants to hear that. But that's pretty much what it took just for the Americans to have a chance at victory. So you don't think that there's anybody that could have pulled off a definitive <sighs> defeat? Of the British Army. Well, they have the Navy. I mean, they could go anywhere they want. They could pick up troops and disappear from you and then go down, you know, a couple hundred miles down the coast and attack somewhere else in your rear. So I don't know. I just I just can't see anybody. It, it, it comes down to materiel. I mean, I think that's somebody... the right answer. No, yeah. I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. That was that's good. A, that's a fun question. No, very eloquently put, Ray. Seriously, that was I really enjoyed that. Definitely. Oh, thank you. So speaking of the war, speaking of him engaged in war, do you think that he was invincible? I know George Washington, I'm pretty sure he thought he was invincible, right? He seems to get shot at a lot. There are so many stories of even his, 
even his uh, officers putting hats over their face because they didn't want to see him because he would just charge into battle and he'd come out and he'd have holes all throughout his coat. Yeah. Well, uh, Captain America. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he was he was the first Captain America. Well said. <laughs> no, I guess my thing is I'm trying to I lost count of the number of horses he had shot out from under from under him. Oh, yeah. I lost count at four. Uh, I think it was four. And at one in one engagement, he had four whole bullet holes. Um, I'm just using the term loosely bullet holes in his jacket. So, I mean, this this isn't crazy. But the short version of your answer was. Yes, he was invincible because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was looking out for him to lead America to be the greatest country in the world, period. No, 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 no. Basically, I mean, the way he survived is like saying, I just scratched some tickets and I won the lottery 20 times in a row. I don't know what to tell you. I don't. I mean, it just came down to every individual situation for whatever reason. It didn't happen. There was there is one story. I can't remember his name where one gentleman pretty much had George Washington in his sights. He said he could have shot him. But one, George Washington had his back to him. And he and again, you have to remember, this is a war between gentlemen and he did not want to shoot someone in the back. And on the other side of that, he didn't know that it was George Washington. He just knew it was an officer. So maybe there was one chance where he could have died, but the guy was too honorable to do that. But again, he was he was shielded by Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> amen so, and amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so do you, what you you bring you bring up you bring up a good question. You bring up a, a, a an interesting point. I'll put it this way: do, right. Was George Washington a Christian? Oh my God! What are, what are your um, thoughts? I am all over the place on that one. Okay, so you have to remember he is as amazing as he is and as amazing as he is able to learn himself and own himself and become a better person over time. He is still a product of his environment. So I think he was religious. I think he was looking out for trying to get answers because rarely does he say Jesus Christ. I think there was twice when he he actually wrote or said Jesus Christ. One was near the time when he found out that Benedict Arnold had betrayed him. And one was, I think he was president. But other than that, he would always say like Providence or the creator. And you probably probably also have read that no matter where he was at, because you know he's bouncing up and down the East Coast, he's always attending a church. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. I personally think the man was hoping there was something. He was looking for answers. He's trying all the, all these different flavors, trying to get an idea. But he, I don't think he had the ability to go, you know, I don't think there is a God. I think that would have been too far for him to go considering what time and place he is in history. But I think he was someone who probably thought, look, we, I think there's a creator. I think there's an, a, an, an entity out there. I don't think we've got it right. I don't think it was JC. I just think there's something out there and I'm just still looking. But I think but you can't say that because, you know, he wants to be accepted and admired and respected. And so he was purposefully vague with his language when he was president and he was stepping down. He ended. I think this is when he ended with, is it so help me? So help me, God. I mean, even that was kind of shocking for him because he ne- he always tried to be very vague in general with his term. So I think very he was, deist. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think he was searching. I think he was curious. I think he was hopeful. But I also think I also think he knew that he didn't know, that no one knew. 
But I also think that he was showing up at church to see everybody's Sunday best. Exactly. He wanted to check out the ladies. <laughs> well, maybe maybe check out or the ladies. The maybe check out the yeah. Maybe check out the boys. I don't know. I mean, he did he did spend. <laughs> let's be honest, Ray. He yeah, did yeah. spend that one night with Christopher Gist on an island where Christopher was frozen. It was cold out there. They had both been in some water. I am mm-hmm. pretty sure that there was some some huddling. Yes. Maybe maybe some tight, the green on. some tight holding, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some Brokeback Mountain-style love. I don't know. Right. I, I don't right. know. Right. Well, let, let, okay, let, let's break this down. One, you're cold, I'm cold, we hug each other. That's just survival. <laughs> okay, that's phase one. The other phase is, yes, if I do get hard, you can question that. But for right now, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to stay warm. Share your just like love. Vegas. Just <laughs> like Cold night in the desert. It is a cold night in the desert. Ray kept me warm, I'll be honest, more than once. That's going to be the name of the memoir, Cold <laughs> Night in the Desert. Well, do you remember um, when we were out by the pool, it was you, me, and Cam, and uh, yeah, there was some snuggling. There was a little bit. Yeah, some little some bit. stogies and snuggling. You know, there's nothing Stug- wrong with that. Snug- it's a very manly thing to do, I think. I call that foreplay. <laughs> it certainly was. Yeah. So, so we talk about the ladies. Yeah. What? So speaking of the ladies, do you think uh, there's Sally Fairfax at first, and then he has a he has a lady admirer later on in his career? But do you do think you, he fucked Sally? Do you think he fucked Sally? Did he fuck Sally? I think he, I think he desperately wanted to tap that. Um, I mean, you you've probably read their letters. I mean, these these people were pushing the edge of the envelope, no pun intended, writing letters. Uh, but he was pretty much putting it out there, like, "Look, lady, if you want this, boom, it's yours." Look uh, at these I, hands. Look at these. <laughs> look at these thighs. <laughs> I could kill you, but it would be an accident. No, but um, <laughs> I, I think he was obsessed. I think. I mean, she was beautiful. She was rich, you know. And she, but she's married to his best friend. I think he would have. In a moment, in the right, perfect moment of weakness, he would have hit that for all he's worth. But at his age, it would have been like 14 seconds. But um, I, I don't think, I don't think it happened. I think she was enjoying his intentions because, I mean, you've got to remember this is at that time period. Her husband's got to have full access to her letters or whatever. I think they were just good friends who got kind of carried away. I think if she would have offered it, he would have done it and regretted it his whole life. But I don't think it happened so do you do you think that if and i i I would agree with your assumption that lord fairfax would probably have had access to her letters do you think that he knew what was going on as far as george engaging his wife that's a tough one that's a tough one i i that i i don't know i i don't really But it's I not like I checking your wife's phone. Emails or something I mean, like that. You, you can hide this shit right. under a stump <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they could have had a secret correspondence that none of us know. They could have wrote hot, passionate, dirty letters and then burned them afterwards. I have yeah, no idea. But I hope so. J.P. Morgan Jr. like burned half of his correspondence because <laughs> he was a rich piece of shit. So who, who knows? It's just one of the, the many, intang- I guess, intangibles that we will never know. I, I would think that he would have given her the ride of, of his life, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, those hips. Come on, those hips. I know. And he would have definitely used his own private server is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let that be a lesson to you, everyone. Well, and I think another point Ron Chernow makes, and I, I'm, I'm, by the way, are we, you need to settle a dispute between Justin and I. Is it Chernow or Chernow? 
I, I've heard Cherneau, but hey, who's to say that's right? Because mostly I read his name. I don't hear it. That's me. I heard an interview with him, and at the beginning of the interview, they called him Chernow. But oh. by the end of the interview, they're calling him Chernow. So I think Uh-oh. he corrected them. Uh-oh. Did he? Uh-oh. Okay, yeah. So he should know. He should know. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I would think. <laughs> well, I digress. In his book, he does mention, and I, I think eloquently, that Sally and George's wife do share a friendship yes. at, at some point. Yes. And so I think that if they had ever hooked up, that friendship would have been impossible. So I, I, I do think that, that kind of also is a big yeah. uh, highlight to the fact that I don't think anything ever happened between the two of them. Although I can dream. I can think yes, about it absolutely. when I sleep at night and... Maybe I just want George Washington. I don't know. It's the thighs. It's the thighs. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's well. Uh, there's nothing wrong with envisioning two beautiful people going at it. I mean, that that's a. I think about thing. you it's and a, Cam. A, I think about you and Cam all the time. So trust me, I know. I think about me and Cam. No, but but it's almost like uh, it's almost like art. You know, two beautiful people going at it with a sweat and the moonlight and a, anyway. So I digress. No, but 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 Sally. And George's wife, Mary, I mean, they were such good friends. Yeah, it would have just ruined everything. And his wife, here's the part that I absolutely adore about his wife. She was short. She got shorter. She was heavy. She got heavier. She didn't like the dance. This man was a dancing fucking machine. He was. Which I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into that. But the point is, she would let him, she knew his weakness when it, when it came to the ladies. So they would be at parties or balls or whatever, and he would be dancing with everybody but her because by that time she was getting older, she probably couldn't, or she was enfeebled, I think, to a certain degree. But she would let him have his way because she knew that he liked to do it. He liked the attention of, of the ladies. He liked to get down and get funky. And she gave him that. That's one thing. You certainly don't let him bang your, your best, his best friend's wife. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was Donnie Disco on the dance floor. He would have made a great roller skater. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he would have fit in been nice at any him. point in our history. <laughs> right. In some, in some way. Well, Justin. Do, do, to, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, to Justin's point, he would have fit in at any point of history. I think that he was such an adaptive personality. I think he found himself willing to always just be busy, push the boundaries, test things, try things. I do think he could have actually probably fit in a lot of different places in our, in our history timeline. He could have been timeline. Peyton Manning. Oh, God. He could have been a lumberjack. He could have <laughs> been anything. He, here's the part. And again, because we see Wall, uh, uh, Washington as the stolid figure, he was very physical. He was very strong. He had an impressive physique. And um, that, that kind of gets lost when you just think of him sitting behind the desk in the White House or, or you know, not the White House, but um, sitting behind the desk when he's the president. But um, no, he, he was actually a, a physically powerful man. And dancing was just one of the many things he was good at anything like dancing horse riding that kind of stuff fighting literally hand-to-hand fighting whatever he was just good at it if he had picked up a sport or whatever i just think he i just think he had that natural talent as an athlete that quickly gets lost because we think of him as the father of our country and people like him aren't allowed to sweat and just imagine if he hadn't been shitting his brains out most of his life what he could accomplish exactly you know, that's that's the the time that he lived in. So, yeah, the, the dentistry could have been a lot better and the toilet paper could have been, you know, a lot. Better. Maybe a donut pillow for those Something. hemorrhoids. Yeah, that, that <laughs> those hemorrhoids and that dysentery really got to him, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he could have he could have even gone to greater heights. 
had not it been for the hemorrhoids. Little preppy yeah. H. So America's already great because we have modern medicine. <laughs> so no, if you get a no time Spanish machine, fly here. Exactly. If you get a time machine, just take him. Um, you know the little pillow and some preparation H and H uh, H, and he could have been he could have he could have taken the war to England, but some no, Viagra. Exactly. Oh, children. Oh now here's the other thing: was he impotent? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, really, honestly, I think it was yeah, his balls yeah. bouncing up and down on that fucking saddle all day long that really did it in for him. Well, it's not helping. I know that. No, but uh, yeah, so because he, I'm sure he went at his wife like a a ruddy ram because he married her when he was 27, but they never produced a child and she had a child with her first husband. So was our father not able to conceive and therefore we all are his children because he couldn't have his own. I've actually seen a conspiracy theory where all that claim that all of our presidents are descendants of George Washington. (laughs) Really? Oh my God. Hmm. Well, where they go with it was that he had a bunch of secret children with the Freemasons sluts or whatever. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that one up. I'm going to have to look that one up. I like that. Right before I go to bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, pictures. Can I see pictures, please? (laughs) So speaking of the fact that we are all Washington's children, uh, uh, the fact that he didn't have children was the father of our nation or considered the father of our nation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh. How in the world did he convince an army filled with the lowest rungs of society to come into his army and fight for their life? I mean, besides the fact that these guys pretty much had nothing else to do, right. how, how did he get them to fight? How did he get them to be so strongly impassioned to be part of his military? I mean, besides all like the whipping that he would do, besides all of his drills and the fact that he was actually quite... Uh, strict with the soldiery as he called them what made them join what made them want to be a part of his army and defend the america that wasn't yet right uh, and you're absolutely right about the discipline i mean if anybody cussed they got lashes if anybody was gambling or drinking they got and we're not talking like one or two lashes i mean some of these people got 50 75 100 lashes it just depends on on, on what they did but strict disciplinarian Here, here's that is a very tough, multi-layered question. Here's the best that I can do. One, they signed up because they got enlistment pay. And two, there's a bunch of patriotic pamphlets going around. Someone's reading them out in public because I'm sure the vast majority of these guys can't read. And so there's a spirit of, uh, there's a spirit of Elan. There's a spirit, spirit of uh, a little bit of patriotism. Um, there was also short-term enlistments. Uh, again, when Washington is bitching throughout the entire war, he said, no, we should be signing people up for two years, five years, seven years, whatever. I mean, they're, they're signing up for a year. They're signing up for six months. They're signing up for a, a campaign season or whatever. So he does lose a lot of men between, between there not being enough resources. He does lose a lot of men because of his harsh treatment. And he does absolutely despise these men at first. But as they, as through time, because again, this is a very long war. It's eight years of fighting as far as I can remember, because this is not World War II. So I'm kind of confused. Um, he was able to mold with them. He shared their deprivations. They, the Valley Forge winter and the winter after that was, that was just as bad. I think Valley Forge winter, there were like 28 snowfalls. So these guys go through hell together. And I don't care where you come from, where you're born or whatever strata of life you're in. If you go through that hell with a group of men, and remember, they did lose thousands that winter. 
at the end of it, you are going to have a bond that is going to transcend everything. So eventually, over time, these men start to fight for him because they care about him. And because they do fight for him, they really get in there and fight. He starts caring about them and they forge an alliance together that, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, when, when the war is over and they're just deciding what to do with uh, their Congress, with their government, some people want to make him the uh, king or excellency or whatever. And a lot of his men are supporting him. Um, but he knows that's the wrong thing to do. But he knows his men have been ripped off. They haven't been paid. They haven't been paid very much. They've been disrespected, which is a very big thing with him. And he almost he, he knows he has to say no to being given some kind of permanent power. But he almost thinks about saying yes, because he wants to take care of the men who have been through hell with him. And that kind of bond, I don't think any of us can really understand or appreciate unless we've been through it ourselves. Right. He was kind of like their first and only rock star. Exactly. They didn't have a Luke Skywalker. They didn't have, you know, most (laughs) of them were illiterate. They had heard some campfire stories, but this guy was... He was their the king shit of fuck mountain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was, and he aspired to be king shit of fuck mountain, but he he did get it and but he did see he wasn't an empty suit though. He was able to deliver in time. It took time, don't get me wrong, but he was the real deal and they recognized that I'm just going to use the word touch of greatness in him. So, you lead me to an interesting question, I'll put it this way. He really did have a lot of ego, I think. He was really into himself. He always wanted to do the best that he could do. He wanted, he aspired to such great heights. What about him allowed him to turn down being the king of the United States? What about him? Why would he push that away? He said, you know, I, I didn't want that. I don't think he, he necessarily aspired to that. But why? As someone that tried so hard to raise himself up from nothing to something. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's back. Lost you for a second there. So I said to Ryan, no, it's my turn. Strap it on. What are we talking about? So before before the hotel internet so rudely interrupted, right. we we were talking about Washington abdicating his power of, of become instead of becoming king, right. he became something else. As someone that worked so hard to achieve such high ranks of power, why did he stop there? Why did he not become the king of the United States? Yeah, I would love to give you some highfalutin answer that would just make you fall in love with Washington forever. But, but it was I'm really going- just diarrhea. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was diarrhea. <laughs> Die a fucking Too much time on the privy. That's right. Look, unless you're going to build an office around the toilet, I can't. No, um, I really think he he was he missed Mountain Vernon. He missed his wife. I mean, you you guys read some of the detailed letters. You probably read some of the detailed letters. He's in the middle of the American Revolution that's going on for almost a decade, and he can still close his eyes and see and picture Mount Vernon perfectly. I mean, he's writing to his caretaker, make sure you do the sidewalks between the houses and cut those those bushes, whatever. I mean, this guy wanted to get back home. And plus, I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, that's, again, that might sound like a lame answer, but he had been away from it 
from what he truly loved, what he truly um, had worked for. And his experience with the Congress had been so negative during the American Revolution. It's like, why enough? Well, I, you know, when I do this to myself, no, I've done my time. I just want to go back home and have solace and have time with my wife and my place because I've got so many things that I wanted to do. He was a doer. He wanted to get out there and make it the best it could be because it was his home and had a lot of pride and love in it. Uh, that's, I, that's the best answer I can give you. I think that's a good answer. I, re- I, I tend to tend to agree with you on that. I think he really loved Mount Vernon. I think he missed home. I think he missed his farm. I think he missed experimenting on his farm. And I don't mean sexually, or maybe I do. Um, but I, I really do think he missed the beauty and the splendor of uh, the Potomac. I think he wanted to go home and see that. So I, 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 I tend to agree, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think he just realized the Pandora's box that he would be opening. He's like, oh, my God, I've had enough of this. I am going home. And I think that we can move into our, our final section, if you will, of, of this interview. And uh, we're bringing out that dead horse. We're going to beat it because we have to beat it for the next four and a half, maybe eight and a half years. Of what would this Tom Brady horse riding motherfucker think of? Donald Trump becoming the 45th president of the United States. Oh, God. Um, Okay, well, I mean, as much as y'all have read like I did, I mean, George Washington was about civility, about manners, about respect, about appropriate condescension for various ranks. Um, He would take one look at Donald Trump and his, his manners, his lack of manners, his treatment of women, I uh, probably couldn't dance at all, his ethnic slurs. Um, and he would probably just think that he was not the, he did not have the appropriate character. And I'm trying to be as neutral as I can possibly be, but I really do think that he would be, you, your character, sir, is not appropriate for this office. And we can all joke about how Washington didn't have, you, you, could, you could argue that Washington didn't have the experience needed for the office, because one, it was just newly created, but he did have experience um, in, during the war and dealing with Congress. But if there's one person who has less experience than Washington, it's Donald Trump. So I don't think he would have been enthusiastic for this very non gentlemanly <laughs> person. Well put. To sit to, to sit in the same office that he worked very hard um, to not only build up and to make sure there was a certain amount of power for the president and to be respected, but he also walked away from it, again, setting limits. No one person should be too you know, above everyone else. And Trump is the exact opposite of that. He wants to go down as the greatest person of everything. I mean, he wants to be the greatest president, the greatest businessman, the greatest piano player, and he doesn't even probably play. He just wants to be seen as <laughs> awesome. And that's just not the temperament for the most powerful position on this entire. He is a weird pinnacle for the self-esteem movement. <laughs> now, to my knowledge, I don't think that Washington ever was involved with any duels. No, Maybe he, that's just the not, padding of history. Did not, not, directly, did not, not directly. Not directly. Right. No. He, he might've dueled with Donald Trump. <laughs> and he would have cheated and he would have cheated on purpose. I'm going to shoot this son of a bitch in the back. No <laughs> way he's getting by. No. I, I mean, I, again, I'm trying to be neutral, but I think we can all agree that 
I mean, Trump gets mad and at 3 a.m. he's Twittering and he's cussing you out or whatever. I While mean, sitting really, on the shitter, I can only imagine. He's just sitting there ang- taking an angry shit in the middle of the night, just tweeting away, just tweeting. But it's a tweeting. solid gold uh, toilet, so it's okay. <laughs> no, but you just, you, you know, the, the power of the presidency is more of what you don't do than do because uh, you've probably heard this expression, the whisper of a president is louder than a scream from anyone else. So it's more about presumed power about the idea of power you don't really act on it like i'm gonna fucking kill that guy you know you just you don't you can't do that as president self-restraint's a a powerful thing there we go unless you're in vegas baby that's right baby (laughs) well ray i just want to honestly very much thank you for coming on our show i was uh when you when you hit me up and it it was wild to me that you kind of hit me up and was like, Hey, when am I going to be on your show? When's that going to happen? Uh, you've been kind of a history podcasting hero of mine for a very long time. You're someone that I've listened to for years, uh, getting to meet you in Vegas last Wait, year. I'll, was, I'll leave the room. Yeah, you probably should. This is about to get real personal, <laughs> but you're, some music. you're someone that I've, I've really looked up to for a very long time. And so the, for the fact that I get to come, you get to come on to a show that I'm doing that I get to interview you, uh, is, beyond my wildest dreams so just thank you for entertaining us uh our our show is very small we have uh, at this point maybe like 50 listeners so far so uh not big but we we just so much appreciate your time uh for coming on to our show talking to us a little bit about george washington you definitely have a passion for him and i really appreciate you sharing that with all of us and thank you for adding some more trump supporters to our (laughs) listeners (laughs) we know that's your base (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, uh, Justin and Ryan, thank you very much. I was I was honored to be on. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little scared when I realized you'd only I'd only seen the one show on iTunes. I'm like, am I going to be like the first? Oh, crap. So I was a little I was a little nervous, but uh, (laughs) honored. And I and I I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much. You were gentle with us. You eased it. You eased it in smooth and nice exactly i know that's why i knew i could trust you i knew i knew you'd be i need to be gentle with us that's funny because i just listened to the the part two of the vegas live show and that was actually a cam line about easing it in slow (laughs) actually to be honest with you last thing i'll say and i'll let you go i didn't ease it in i gave it to you as best i got i'm just not well endowed (laughs) so you won't know the difference no exactly (laughs) sorry yeah well thanks again hey we really appreciate you we hope to we honestly hope to have you on again and very very much so we actually want to have uh we want to have cam on so let's uh let's go ahead and let's talk him into it i don't know what i'll talk about but i definitely think it would be worthwhile to have him on here oh please with his ego he's ready to go (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and let me know when you get to rommel so we can talk about rommel okay absolutely (laughs) okay thanks ray y'all take care thank you bye you still you still there justin I'm still here. That was delightful. Oh I my that god, that was so good. All right, dude. Peace out. Strike while the iron's hot. That's and right. uh stay sexy, don't get murdered. That's right. Bye. Bye. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. 
Let me lay it on the line. He had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains and invented cocaine. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Washington. Washington.